Good morning, church. This is the Sunday message for July 18th, the year 2021. Modern life propels us to live life at a chaotic, frenetic pace. As my grandmother would say, we often run around like chickens with our heads cut off. Many of us crave rest and rhythm, but we feel powerless and boxed in. The fast pace of life is wearing us out, but we feel stuck and out of control. We feel like something else, someone else is in charge, in control. We walk around staring at our phones, we name priorities, but we have trouble following through and being consistent. We make to-do lists, but we can never get it all done. We're exhausted, and we're not sure if it will ever get better. Friends, there's a better way to live. You can live your life differently, and it starts by acknowledging that you need help. Face this truth. If you could get better on your own, you would have done it by now. The fact that you haven't shows that we need help. I need help. I need help getting unstuck. Think of it this way. A few weeks after Beth and I got married, the Winter Olympics took place in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was February of 2002. And we got really into it. We watched it most every night over those two weeks, as I'm sure we'll try to do when the Summer Olympics go to Tokyo in a few weeks here. Anyway, over those two weeks, my evening ritual centered on pouring a glass of Coke over ice and sitting down to watch the Olympics. I gotta be honest, I was not accustomed to drinking Coke too much, certainly not every day, but for some reason, I just really craved Coke when I watched the Olympics. During the day, I would even daydream, tonight I'm gonna pour Coke and watch speed skating or downhill skiing or whatever it was. One night, I realized we were out of Coke, so I, I rushed out quickly to get another two-liter. And eventually, Beth asked, Don't you see what you're doing? Don't you see what's going on? Do you know why you're drinking so much Coke? And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, I don't know, I just like it. I'm kind of in the mood for it. And then she pointed out that Coke was one of the main corporate sponsors of the Olympics. And they had been running constant Coke advertisements the entire Olympics. And I was being led by marketing. I had completely been impacted by advertising. I was influenced by something outside of myself. And I hadn't even realized it. <laughs> and while that's perhaps a harmless example, we're constantly influenced by advertisements, media, social pressure. We're given endless messages on what it means to be a successful, ideal, and happy human some of it's good, some of it's wise, but much of it is just plain nonsense. And much of it is antithetical to the gospel. Jesus offers a better way to live. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 6, 30-34, and then verses 53-56. In that gap, we have the stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. The purpose of our text today is to show the type of life Jesus led and how he offered a similar life to others. At other times in the lectionary cycle, we do the story of the 5,000 and walking on water. But this morning, the focus is Jesus' pace and rhythm of life. Our Gospel reading. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves 
to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. On down to 53. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. So in these gospel accounts, crowds are often depicted as chaotic and out of control. Many of these people were poor, many were marginalized, and they felt powerless in the face of Roman imperialism. They had little control. And Jesus describes them as sheep without a shepherd. A sheep needs a shepherd, for without a shepherd, sheep just wander cold and hungry. Sheep are directionless. And this is who we are without Jesus. This is who we are without Jesus. When we live life at a frenetic, chaotic pace, all the while feeling stuck and powerless, we are sheep without a shepherd. We are wandering, and we have no idea where we're going. There is good news. Jesus has compassion. Jesus wants better for you, better for me. Jesus is not here to scold you or rebuke you. <laughs> Jesus is not here to yell at you or tell you it's all your fault. Jesus has compassion on you. Jesus loves you just where you are, no matter what you've done or who you are. And because Jesus loves you, he doesn't want to leave you like you are. He wants better for you. Jesus came to give you life, a better life, now and forever. And Jesus does this primarily in two ways in this reading. In verse 34, we see how he does this through teaching. In verse 56, we see how he does this through healing. First, let's look at teaching, and that's where we'll spend the majority of our time. As Christians, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the agent of creation. Jesus is the risen Lord. But we also believe Jesus is the greatest teacher the world has ever known. Jesus is wise, super smart. And Jesus' teaching is not an arbitrary list of rules. You can take a cosmic test someday and earn your way to heaven. No, this is not what it's about. Instead, Jesus' teaching is the path to life. Jesus' teaching is wise. He knows what he's talking about. Following Jesus' teaching will make your life go better. And let me be clear by way of disclaimer. Following Jesus involves giving stuff up, and sometimes that's really hard. Following Jesus may involve persecution and often involves a social cost, as Charlie mentioned last week. And certainly in a fallen world, we face things like cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's. Friends, let's be realistic. Life can be hard. As a general rule, though, following Jesus' teaching will make your life go better. But don't expect heaven until Jesus returns. Okay, so let's talk about Jesus' teaching. What does his teaching do for the sheep without a shepherd? So Jesus here has compassion on these directionless people 
that are being manipulated by the world. And he believes his teaching is going to help them. So how is Jesus' teaching helpful? Let me just look on the Sermon on the Mount for a brief moment, because out of all Jesus' teaching, that may be most familiar for us. Look at Matthew 5-7. through And um, you know it starts with the welcome of the Beatitudes and the call to be salt, light, city on a hill. But then look at the second half of chapter 5. You can just kind of see the chapter headings and stuff in your Bible. Second half of chapter 5, uh, like verses 21 through 48. It's all about how we get stuck in unholy, dysfunctional relationship patterns. And so Jesus' teaching is all about de-escalating harmful, unhealthy cycles. So don't pursue vengeance, pursue reconciliation. Don't manipulate, be a truth teller. Don't objectify, but rather honor. Don't hate your enemies, but love your enemies. It's all about getting unstuck from patterns and cycles. It's all about de-escalation. And if everyone in our world suddenly applied this teaching, the world would change overnight. Honestly, your life would change overnight. For how much of our lives is caught up in, let's be honest, it's just crazy drama. Jesus shows us how to be free of that. And then in chapter 6, he gives us healthy practices. Give generously. Pray fast. And if you devote yourself to these practices, you will live differently things for us to do. It's good teaching. And then the second half of the chapter is about prioritizing the kingdom over possessions and listening to nature to alleviate anxiety. The kingdom must be number one. And the values of the kingdom are to love God and love people. God matters. People matter. And those must be our priorities. And and this keeps us from chasing kind of the elusive American dream of the white picket fence and the fancy house and the right neighborhood and the, the car you've always dreamed of and the vacation. Like, you know, all the cookie-cutter American dream stuff. Like, it putting the kingdom number one keeps us from chasing that elusive dream. For that dream will end up causing us, causing us a lot of anxiety. I mean, there's so much worry in our world, and counseling and medication can certainly be helpful at times. But you know where we should start when it comes to anxiety and worry? We should start by just taking a walk outside. Just go outside. Or if, if you're allergic or it's too hot, just sit by a window. And let, let God talk to you through the flowers and the birds. Turn your phone off, close the screen, and let the beauty of the creation reveal the creator and remind you that you are not alone. This world is not chaos. There is deep meaning and purpose in this world. And that will alleviate your worry. Then chapter 7 tells us how to make fair judgments and stay away from hypocritical judgments. Don't spend your life blaming others. Don't spend your life policing the world. And then Jesus uses several stories to warn us that the point of the teaching is to follow the teaching. And not everybody's going to do it. There's our wise builders and foolish builders. So that's just some of Jesus' teaching. There's definitely a lot more teaching out there. That's a rough sketch of Sermon on the Mount. And and what we need to know, that teaching is just super smart. It's really wise. And this teaching can change your life. It can, if you apply it to your life tomorrow, this afternoon, your life will start to get better. 
because Jesus is smarter than everyone else. Jesus knows more than everyone else. Jesus is wise, and if we do what he suggests, if we do what he commands, things are going to go better. This teaching is a gift. This teaching can liberate you from the slavery of expectations, the slavery of advertising, the lure of success. The problem is we get distracted. We have trouble applying the teaching. And uh, my struggle is, I remember Jesus' teaching when faced with a huge crisis or enormous spiritual battle. It's not the extraordinary where I struggle to remember Jesus' teaching. It's in the ordinary. It's in the little daily things. Okay, so when, when there's a big crisis and I'm desperate, I go to the Word of God, I see Jesus' teachings, I seek to apply it. But in the ordinary, in the little things in daily life, I sometimes forget how wise Jesus' teaching is. And for this reason, I was really drawn to a book I read over the last year called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. And she basically talks about, by Liturgy of the Ordinary, she means the rhythms of a normal day. Not the extraordinary, but the ordinary. In the book, she goes through an average day from waking up to going to bed and includes all the mundane parts of the day like brushing our teeth, making our bed, eating leftovers. And she talks about what it looks like to remember, to follow Jesus' teaching in the normal parts of our day. And if we do that, we can really live differently. We can live like sheep with a shepherd instead of sheep without a shepherd. So let me read two excerpts from her book. Okay, the first excerpt comes from her chapter on losing car keys. She has a whole chapter on the ordinary parts of our day when we just lose stuff. I mean, how many of you have lost your keys at least once the last month? I mean, I definitely have. And it's a little thing in a way, but it can cause so much frustration, and it can be an opportunity to practice Jesus' teaching. So this is a segment, section from page 53 and 54 of her chapter on losing car keys. She says, Small things go wrong. I feel hurried or overwhelmed, burdened by sad news or worried for a friend, and like a rising flood inch by inch, the collective sadness and frustration mounts and I snap. I yell at my daughters to quiet down, I slam the broken dishwasher door just a bit harder than necessary, I mutter something under my breath. If I were a lioness, I would snarl, as it is, I brood. These unbidden unveilings in my day are insignificant compared to the immense suffering in our lives and in the broader world. There are people who face profound agony every day, chronic pain, heart-wrenching loss, desperation. In my own life, there have been seasons of deep sorrow, but this is not that. This is not the valley of the shadow of death. This is the roadside ditch of broken things and lost objects, the potholes of gloom and unwanted interruptions. And yet here is where I find myself on an ordinary day. And here, in my petty anger and irritation, is where the Savior deigns to meet me. These moments are an opportunity for formation, for sanctification. Underneath these overreactions and aggravations lie true fears. My lost keys reveal my anxiety that I won't be able to do what I need to do to take care of myself and those around me. They hit on my fear of failure and incompetency. My broken dishwasher uncovers my worry about money. Will we have enough to fix it? And it exposes my idolatry of ease, my false hope and comfort and convenience. I just want things to run smoothly. Today, my lost keys provide a moment of revelation 
revealing the lostness inside me and my misplaced reliance. When the day is lovely and sunny and everything is going according to plan, I can look like a pretty good person. But little things gone wrong and interrupted plans reveal who I really am. My cracks show and I see that I am profoundly in need of grace. But here's the thing. Pretty good people do not need Jesus. He came for the lost. He came for the broken. And in his love for us, he came to usher us into his foundness and wholeness. I love that section. It's just, it's an ordinary thing, but it's an opportunity. Like when we lose our car keys, when we lose something else, it's an opportunity to really think about what's going deeper and to apply the teachings of Jesus. I'll read an excerpt from another section. She has a whole chapter on being stuck in traffic. <laughs> a whole chapter on being stuck in traffic. I'm going to read some excerpts from page 102 to 104. She says, I've never really understood why people honk in traffic. No one can go any faster. We're all stuck. No one's particularly happy about it, but people honk as if to shake a sonic fist at the sky. In the face of our powerlessness, our stuckness, our mortal minutes counting down, we just honk. An act of rage and protest that only adds noise, not movement. We're geese caught in a trap honking. I judge the people who honk in traffic, but if my feelings made sounds, they'd be honking too. I am impatient. I live in an instant world where I like to think I'm captain of the clock. I live with the illusion that time, my time at least, is something I control. I'm not a farmer. I don't have to wait for harvest or for the weather to change. I'm not a midwife. I don't have to wait for babies to come. When my computer moves too slowly, seconds really, I murmur, this is taking forever. Of course, if I knew how long I have left to live, if the length of my remaining days or those of someone close to me could be counted in weeks, I'd understand that time is not in my control. Or if I lived without the luxury of electricity, time would more obviously call the shots. But in my life, time is most often something I seek to manage, or something I resent, something it seems that I never have enough of. In my frenetic life, I forget how to slow down and wait. For the good of my own soul, I need to feel what it's like to wait, to let the moments march past. And here I am, plunged into an ancient spiritual practice in the middle of the freeway, forced against my will to practice waiting. But the reality is that I do not control time. Every day I wait. I wait for help, for healing, for days to come, for rescue and redemption. And like all of us, I'm waiting to die. And I wait for glory, for the coming king, for the resurrection of the body. Christians are people who wait. We live in liminal time, in the already and not yet. Christ has come, and he will come again. We dwell in the meantime. We wait. As one who is beloved of God, I must learn the hard practice of patience. Sitting in traffic, stuck, is one of the very few times in my day where I embody the true state of my whole human existence. On the way, already but not yet, living as a creature in the in-between, waiting. I love that passage, just something mundane like being stuck in traffic, but yet it's an opportunity to practice Jesus' teachings and to live life differently with a deeper understanding of what's truly going on. Once again, it's not just about knowing Jesus' teaching, it's about applying Jesus' teaching. And 
as we said, perhaps the hardest time and place to apply it is to the ordinary. And yet it's in the ordinary space where we find the shepherd who offers life and healing. And this healing flows from Jesus' teaching. So, so what is healing? It's being made whole. It's being made right. It's realizing the intention and purpose of why you were created. In terms of this conversation on the chaotic, frenetic pace of modern life, it means following a healed, it means following Jesus into a different way of living, a healed schedule, a healed rhythm, a healed pace, a healed to-do list, a healed set of priorities, while everyone else is running around crazy. You can be the island in the storm because of the Holy Spirit. And more than this, more than your schedule or your pace, Jesus will heal all of you. Notice what the passage says. Jesus healed the sick. This same Jesus is alive today and continues to heal. Now, we must be honest, all of us, at one time or another, have prayed for healing that didn't come. We have all had prayers that seemed unanswered. And this can cause a lot of trepidation around prayer and sometimes lead us to pray without expecting anything. We should expect Jesus to heal us, but we must understand Jesus' timetable. Jesus has promised to heal us, but he has not told us when he will heal us. Because of the resurrection, the timetable has been vastly expanded. All of us will get sick in this life, and some of us will be healed, and some of us will not be healed. But unless Jesus comes back, we'll all eventually die. But Jesus will bring us back to life. Jesus will ultimately heal all of us. So I believe in healing. I believe Jesus will heal. I don't know when, but I can promise you that Jesus will heal you. And we need to be a type of people that have that confidence and that joy. Jesus is going to heal you. He hasn't told us when, but he has promised that he will. So we can't fill in all the gaps of all the circumstances. We can't answer every single unanswered question. But eventually, ultimately, you will be healed. Base your hope on that. Friends, if you are a sheep without a shepherd, know that Jesus has compassion for you. Jesus cares about you. And because Jesus cares, he wants life for you. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. His teaching and healing will enable you to have the life you've always wanted. You can be different. And be honest, if you could do it on your own, you would have already done it by now. You can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. So the message is the same for all of us. May we call on his name. May we claim him as our shepherd. And may we follow him into the path of life.